0: W. Kamau Bell joined Elite Company as host of his own late-night TV talk show, Totally Biased with W. Kamau Bell. He'll return to your cable TV on a regular basis in 2016 as the host of United Shades of America on CNN. In between, he presided over two Showtime comedy specials for South by Southwest, co-host the podcast Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time, period, and he spoke with me about how far he has come and how much farther we have to go. So let's get to it! About bell thanks for uh, thanks for joining me on the program.
1: Thanks for having me on the program.
0: We are we are live from Washington, DC, yes. where you're performing at the Benson Ball.
1: Yeah, are we live? This isn't being broadcast live, that makes it sound like they're hearing it live. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We're live for an audience of whoever the NSA has in yeah. this hotel room. Okay, That's, yeah, we are alive right now, but
1: who knows by the time it comes out, who it's a Opens with an in memoriam, but right now we're live. When
0: I rolled into Union Station earlier today, the last thing I saw was the CNN building. Oh yes. Did yes. you? Uh, are you? Are you promoting while CNN? While you're here? Uh,
1: no, I mean I'm always sort of promoting it because my show, the the uh, not the I have to cut the the <laughs> my show United Shades of America. There was apparently a meeting about that. Oh. Uh, United Shades of America uh, comes out I, either I still don't early next year. I just don't have a definite date, but yeah. I am. I, it's one of the things, like, you know, in my Next credits. year being 2016.
0: Yeah, 2016. Yeah, <laughs> again. <laughs> for <laughs> the list, for the listeners of 2024. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 2016. They're like,
1: that's so weird, because that show is now the biggest show and has its own network. That's funny <laughs> that back then, it hadn't even started yet. <laughs>
0: now, uh, as I was on my way over here, I was checking my social media, mm-hmm. and our mutual friend, Chris Rock, okay. posted a tweet with a quote, quote, uh, it looks like it's no it's new york city it says there's more people complaining than doing that's why the top is so lonely oh wow he's getting he's getting philosophical <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's
1: that's very philosophical for him he's normally not that i mean i know he th- he's a big thinker but he's not normally that openly philosophical
0: i was going to say does that sound like the chris rock you remember
1: i mean that's certainly he's a guy who but it, uh uh he certainly is a guy who thinks big thoughts, but he's also that. I mean, like, like I said, that's a little more philosophical for his social media profile. Normally on social media, he's just try, he. It's really a sense of him trying to like remind you that he's Chris Rock and he's funny. And, okay. Which you know, who needs reminded? But yeah. So what was? I mean, that? I haven't followed his social media closely recently, but. Right. Generally, it's like uh, when I do, he's being funny.
0: So what was the what was the last thing Chris said to you before you guys turned off the lights? totally biased. Uh, the last thing Chris Rock said to me, okay, the I can't remember the
1: exact... I mean, we've talked since then first of all. Okay. So, I just want to be clear. Is like <laughs> that <It's laughs> like we're done? Yeah, it's over. Right it Never like talk that. to me again. No, not no, returning your phone no. calls. We've 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 exchanged texts and emails occasionally. The, yeah, so this is I don't think I've told the story. I don't um, the, uh, so we I found out the show was canceled like in the middle of the day like two days before the last episode and like before we were about to have a writers meeting. And so I made the decision with the other, I guess it was with the other producer, that we shouldn't tell the writers before the writers meeting because we needed them to write.
0: <laughs> this sounds like this sounds like the plot of The Martian. Which I just oh thought. wow! I, well, uh, I'll
1: will <laughs> see that and let you know. That makes sense. Uh, and so, just because it was like, and Chris it was on the phone call where we found out, mm-hmm. and so it's just like, well, let's let let's, let's at least get this one. We were going to tell them that day, but right. let's get this one more writing session out where it seems like we're all and then we'll do it. So, in the middle of the writers meeting, uh, Chris walked into the room and was like is like anybody hear the news? like something that was like like a like a, a funny thing that you would that would have been funny in a dark way if they had known the show had been canceled like right. so, any big news today? like that kind of thing. <laughs> and the writers all sort of turned around like, "Oh, no, not much. you know like sort of just like, you know." <laughs> and I jumped out of my chair I was like, "Hey Chris, let's go outside for a second just to be like we haven't told them yet because he was like <laughs> He's like, oh, I don't think he got it. Uh, right. But at, it, there was a TV on, and it was like a commercial for Scandal. And he was, like, and he just sort of was like, "Look, man, you're going to be fine. You know, you'll, your career will be fine. You know." He's like, "Soon, you'll be guest starring on Scandal." And he just sort of pointed at the TV. So that was like the. We talked after that, but that was like the, the like I felt like the wrap up of, <laughs> you know, he him telling me I was going to be fine was like the thing I took away from our last sort of being around each other that, when the show ended. And then I saw him after that. I saw him for the next couple of days, but that okay. was like the big. You know, he sort of said it like, it's going to be fun. Like he sort he wasn't like, and Chris is pretty unflappable. So he wasn't like, you know, pack up your bags and, and get out of show business.
0: And was it a, f- a f- was it kind of a foregone conclusion in your head after that, that you would go back to the Bay Area? No,
1: not at all. Not even a little bit. I th- I kind of thought at that point, my th- line of thinking was like, well, I, I have to, because I would go back to the Bay Area and do shows. And be like, when are you moving back? Uh and I was like, No, I gotta stay in New York, that's where showbiz is. <laughs> and I sort of was even probably kinda shitty about it. There's nothing going on here <laughs> and so right. but uh and thinking that I can't, that would be a backwards move, which it may have been. Um but it wasn't when my wife got pregnant and we went to the doc went to like into OBGYN in New York went to like two appointments and we were just like there was this really sense of like this isn't how they do it in the bay area <laughs> <laughs> like, and my wife was like I don't know that I want to give birth in this you know in a, in this type of place <laughs> this and toxic atmosphere yeah well just it was just a very sort of you know in the bay area we had a doula and a midwife mm-hmm. and a, you know and there's you know you know, you're, you're, there's just a sense of like, take your time. I mean, there's, it, it just was very touchy feely in the way that the Bay Area is known to be. Okay. And in New York, it was like, if you don't get that baby out in 15 minutes, we're ripping it out of you. <laughs> like, it was just not that literally that, but <laughs> it felt much more like, you know, not the touchy feely thing we wanted to have with our so around our child. And so once we realized that we were like, well, maybe we can find another hospital. Or I'm sure, I'm sure in New York there is that touchy feely thing. Right. But when it was like that became a thing, like, can we have a baby out here? Do we want to? uh an infant out here like having a new baby is so hard and we're not around our family and friends and I mean we had friends in New York but not the same. I'm in Queens, I can't come help you. Uh so we just that was the that was the impetus to like, oh no, we gotta pack up and move out of
0: here. Well that's a real life decision yes. Taking precedent over show business decisions. Yeah. How how much has 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 that kind of informed your career as a whole? Kind of it's, I mean, real, on life? Level it's real life is more important than the show business career ladder. Well,
1: I mean, I guess it sort of depends on uh, what the goal is. And so for me, and this is, I mean, you know, this is going to sound how it sounds. To me, the goal is is self-expression, and showbiz is an avenue through which you can sometimes express yourself. Okay. But it's certainly not the only avenue, and it's not always the best avenue, is what I have found throughout the years. Mm. Like, showbiz didn't help me write the bell curve, but showbiz then said... And Chris Rock being, and I'm not putting down showbiz. I'm, you know, I'm participating in it right now. I'm at the Benson Ball, right? But this is a fun, and and my new show on CNN is participating in it. But I sort of threw, a... I like had to. That's not a thing. Like, even that's a different avenue. Like, it's not like they were like they ha- don't have a bunch of comedians doing travel shows. It's right. like I sort of went my own way to find that. Uh, and I'm not even trying to say this way is better. I feel like when I talk about this, it starts to sound a little. It's more like I just come from a, I just. For me to stay sane, <laughs> I need to do it this way. Right. I really admire Chris's. Drop me in the middle of showbiz, and I'm gonna d- figure it out. Like he's, <laughs> you know, he's like a it's like a samurai. It's like, <laughs> a, it's like a like a Bruce Lee movie. He's just punching every. He's taking on all targets and doing all things. And like he's the voice of a zebra in the movie, and he's you know he's doing top five mm-hmm. and he's doing stand up and hosting the BET Awards show. And that's like, I just look at that and go that whoo, <laughs> I don't know that I'm built for that.
0: Uh, so when you signed up for CNN, or you sold CNN on on the project, which which way did that go? It come no, about? it was
1: a little bit of both. Like uh, they had a production company had sold them an idea. CNN told the produ- said apparently thought I would be good for that idea. I met with them and then I s- had took the idea and sort of spun it into something that I thought would be more okay me friendly. Yeah. So. So it was like a it was like a three way it's like a three way <laughs> it was like it's like a menage a trois.
0: So when you when you entered production on that and started traveling the country, mm-hmm. what were kind of the biggest lessons you had learned from Totally Bias that you were able to to well, make progress on for this show? Well, what came out of Totally Bias was was the
1: almost universally people said the thing they liked about my part of the show specifically was the man on the street stuff. And that was not something I'd ever done before Totally Blies and kind of had not liked man, not liked watching other people do Man on the Street stuff a lot of times because it felt like a lot of times that Man on the Street stuff seems like people are walking through the streets minding their business and then a camera's in their face and goes, we're here to humiliate you. <laughs> that's,
0: that's Billy on the Street. Well, even Billy, even Billy on the Street, it's, it, he's so over the top. I say that with love, yeah, Billy. Yeah, right no, right even that, that, though, I feel love. like
1: he's so over the top that, he, that nobody's going to be mad at you for not being able to, in a few seconds, remember all the women on sex and sex, whatever right. it is. Like, you know, that he, I think he, do, I really like the way he does it, but sometimes it's just a snarky person sort of like, oh, you don't know we're in the war of 1812. Like just right. like, I think Billy on the Street. I look at that and go, "Oh, that's the other way. To, that's another way to do it." But some more like jaywalking.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I guess now that's now that that's off the air, we can say that. Like it just feels like, why are you making this? Person yeah, thing? I didn't bring up Jimmy Kimmel because I want you to be able to do. Yeah, sure, yeah. but why are you making this <laughs> person feel like an asshole
1: when they just were walking, living their life? And right. I, you know, I'm. Not, it's just not my style of comedy. So I'd always sort of steer clear when people ask me to do stuff like that. Like I, I don't want to do that. But through Totally Biased. And, and through the experience of that show, doing *Man of the Street, I, mm. feel, I found a way that I could do it that I liked it, and then many other—sometimes other people liked it. Or right. people liked the way I did it, uh, and so that was the thing. I, that was really the thing I took from *Totally Biased*, and also just the experience of having worked on the show. I've said this before. I feel like working on *Totally Biased* for two years, I got like an associate's degree in TV production. So now, when I went into uh, *United States of America*. I don't. I I know what an associate producer does. I know what a segment producer does. I know what a field producer like where's the totally bonds? I was like. What is that again? <laughs> I'm like Googling. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, so, uh, so I felt like I I was better able to sort of I was better able to be conversant
0: in the in the in the media. So when you were when you were a kid growing up, how much of this was even part of your imaginary future?
1: Um. Noth- none of it. I mean, I wanted to be a comedian. I always wanted to be a comedian. Okay. Which is sometimes people think I got a degree in political science and then said, "What's the best way to convince people?" It's <laughs> not that I wanted to be a comedian like any. Like what age? Of
0: ha- how how young were you uh, when that light I bombed? mean, when I realized that
1: there was a thing called comedian. When like so like we're talking about early years of Saturday Night Live, five six years old, like okay, you know, going like Eddie Murphy. Yes, that's like you know like I want to be that. That's. Now that's now th- when you watch that you go I'll be Eddie Murphy and then I'll do movies like 48 hours and trading places like right. you just think that's what you'll end up doing or you know the artist formerly known as Bill Cosby I'll be Bill Cosby and I'll sit on the stage in a suit and I'll tell hilarious stories and then I'll have a sitcom you know so and I grew up in the era where comedians got sitcoms so that was part of my envisioning of what the future was but it's only as I did comedy and grew up in comedy and saw things change and how the sitcom was not the thing it was anymore Mm -hmm. and also that that wasn't really where my sense of humor was going to be best served. That now it's really a follow-my-nose thing. Like,
0: what am I interested in and can I figure out a way to execute that? But you you even from a young age didn't have other dreams that you were... Thinking of a for sh- a like a life like dream, sp- <laughs> yeah, sports or politics or astronaut or fireman. I think you,
1: would, you on a good day you would have heard me say actor, just because I knew that was show business. But right. I also realized very early on, even now, like people go, "Do you want to act?" I'm like, I guess if they do one of those things where somebody writes a part for you, <laughs> and then, you know, sort right. of feel like you can execute it. But I don't have dreams of acting in movies in that way. Uh, I mean, you know, I th- I think all you know all comics of this generation, not all. I'll say this: I'll take it. All, like I look at somebody like Patton Oswalt, and it just seems like that seems to be, you know, he 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 sort of is following his nose, and then sometimes his nose makes
0: him puts him in a Pixar film, you know, like. Right. You know,
1: and nobody goes, how could you, you know, or the people who do, you just sort of go, don't listen to them. Right. Or
0: he's the voiceover for the Goldbergs on ABC. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. There's just a sense that like he's, f- and he, and he still has his integrity, and he's still doing stand-up, and. Uh, And I'm not saying I even want that career, I'm just saying that I have learned at some point that I had to just, like right now, I'm in the middle of, I have a lot of things I'm working on, and I'm just sort of like, I'd like to try this, I'd like to do this, like I'm doing a live radio show with KLW in the Bay Area, a live radio talk show uh, on October 29th, and it's just like, I don't, it's just like, I would like to get into that topical, making fun of the news thing again, and I also love public radio, so... It's just another thing I added into the mix.
0: Is that you said you studied political science? Is that what drew you No, t- no, no, no. I'm, I'm oh. saying I didn't study. i oh. people
1: assume that I had oh. some sort of like okay. political science background, and I, I mean, other than reading things, like I don't have that.
0: So have a, okay, so you're, you're a young kid. You you see Eddie Murphy. You see Saturday Night Live. You go okay, that's something. Seinfeld. On, that's I remember something seeing I Seinfeld want. On
1: tonight's Show, and just being like, I remember being like, that's I want to do what he's doing, but at the time, going, but I, I don't have a life as interesting as he does, because you're like. A kid (laughs) these things don't just happen to me you know so did you pursue
0: an interesting life as a result
1: no not at all i thought i thought (laughs) comedians lived really interesting lives and little did i realize that no they spend years piecing together little things that happen and then it then you go on stage and do five minutes on this night show and it looks like man this person does a lot of things you know so uh i don't no i i did not you know i other than I mean, you know, I moved around a lot as a kid, so that gave me a lot of experiences, but I didn't do that to myself. So I spent a lot of time living in the South with my dad and living in the North with my mom, and grew up in a household where we talked about race and racism a lot. And so that's my background. And so then when I started doing comedy and really got into it, it just sort of, I think I was naturally attracted to those sort of issues. Okay. Then I moved to the Bay Area and realized it's not just about black and white, that there's other other issues out there that also can you fold into that stuff? And so then I was like, can I fold all this stuff in together? And yeah, so I didn't. You know, I kind of sometimes I feel like I don't have a life that's that interesting. Like, I, you know, you hear uh, like you listen to This American Life and hear people tell stories like, man, <laughs> like, you're like, you know, you're <laughs> like you hear like Doug Stanhope on stage. Wow, that dude's yeah. really, you know, out there making an interesting life happen where, you know, I'm a dad with two kids and a wife and I live in uh, the quaint town of Berkeley, California. But That's interesting. It can it can get pretty interesting sometimes. Yeah, I mean, you yeah.
0: had to you had to live an interesting enough life to attract a woman. Yes. Yeah. Into it, and, and uh, she's and um, to give know, birth. To yeah. Kids. No, I'm not.
1: I'm not saying I have. I have. I'm not. I don't go through my life like this is boring. I'm not saying <laughs> that. I'm just saying that, like I, I, like you know, when I hang around other comedians, and a lot of it is about the road mm-hmm. and, and just talking and just it. I, you know, I just sort of. Feel, I feel like you know, like a dad. I feel like <laughs> like I have to, like, I've, I, and a, and a lot. Of, you know, I, it's funny to feel more related. to. To Jim Gaffigan than you mm. know to other comedians. like you know, even though me and J- our acts are not the same, right? But like I feel like in some sense, like I have two, ki- like uh, you know, I have two kids, and, and it, they're really, uh, my family's really important to me, and so I have to make choices that support that, and all those kind of things, and the way that you can see Jim doing that all the time. Okay, H- well,
0: if you didn't study political science, what did you study in school?
1: Uh, when I went to college, uh, for a year and a half at the University of Pennsylvania, I studied East Asian studies.
0: What, and what was the what was <laughs> what was the thought then
1: i this is i, I was uh it's okay no it's we're right, in a safe space, a safe space. no uh, <laughs> you can talk freely <laughs> yeah. it's just the two of us it's just the two of us nobody's yeah this is this isn't going this is live uh <laughs> i was uh at that point i i mean it's funny to think about who i was then i mean i was studying i did a lot of martial arts in high school and at okay. that point I, I okay so you talk about other dreams yeah at that point i actually thought because this is before i really thought i could do comedy i was like I thought I would be a martial arts instructor. I would be like oh the guy yeah. who had the mar- the kung fu school at the at the strip mall, and uh, oh. and uh, and so I, I would oh just I d- identify with this. Yeah, yeah. So I was <laughs> a huge. So at the time, I was a huge Bruce Lee fan. And so when I went to college, I was like, I don't really have a thing I want to study here, and, but I like Bruce Lee a lot in East Asia. And I thought, like, oh, I'll learn Chinese. That would be cool. And so I just that it put you in East Asian Studies, and I did
0: that for a year and a half. Where I realized, oh, I really don't have any real. Interest in this. I lived in Seattle for six years and after I moved away I had, my regret was that I didn't like try to study with uh, one of the people who studied <laughs> yeah, with Bruce I'm Lee sure. oh, that's right, I wanted people. to be part of the, li- the actual lineage yeah. and I still haven't taken martial arts class so who am I yeah, kidding yeah. This is still, is still it's still all still a fantasy in my head
1: well I mean I took a lot of martial arts and then I also I live in Oakland and one of my favorite things about the I live in ah, Berkeley. Yeah. one of my favorite things about the Oakland airport is that there's a there's a photo montage and Bruce Lee's in it and it just feels cool that I live in a city that claims Bruce Lee yeah, so I and really what happened out of that is what I took out of that was like really wanting to be a person like Bruce Lee, not wanting to be Bruce Lee. Like as far as like the, you know, it's funny how you know I have a podcast about Denzel Washington and he at a I saw this evening long talk with him and he quoted Bruce Lee and I was like e- this is another reason why I like it. <laughs> uh, you know, the whole we are whole, meant to be together. Yes, yes. The the whole <laughs> Bruce Lee quote of absorb what is useful, reject what is useless, and add what is specifically your own is like Ooh. totally the life that I. Like, and that's how in stand up and in performing, like I sort of allow myself to not always do it. Th- I can approach it the way I want to. there's things you know there's things I can pull out of it and things I cannot pull out of it, and i can and sort of just you know that's how you know I think I've ended up in the places that I have because I'm not sort of held to an idea of like what I have to be and i and i then i therefore I can forgive myself when I'm not doing things that that other comedians are doing. Be like, it is, I'll figure it out. Is that philosophy what what led you to leave UPenn? Yeah, on some, yeah, because I realized I would like to reject all of this. <laughs> like this is not I,
0: Philadelphia, I, the Ivy League the, college. The,
1: that, that I I kind of looking back, I wish I had gone to a more liberal arts school. Okay, like I think I've, I I should have ended up at like you know Oberlin or you know amherst or something mm. you know, or, or emerson that's the one in the where the all the comedians come out of. yeah it. in boston yeah like some some school where it's like a uh, reed just make your own major and like reed <laughs> I mean, yeah reed is yeah. definitely one of those places that yeah you know, I, I, if i had done that I, pr- I think i could have made it through four years of school but I, at penn it was like i don't want to be a doctor or a lawyer or a doctor of nursing so or a
0: business person so i think i should probably yeah i i recently had eugene merman on the podcast and he went to Hampshire God. yeah and he built his own major yeah. of
1: stand-up comedy and yeah and that's and I just looking back like that I didn't know better I, but I should have ended up in a more squishy uh liberal squishy. arts like you know <laughs> today I feel like I got an A I think that's what I feel like I earned today you know so it would have been but so I I really have a lot of if there's a part of me that's like I really like a part like at some point I would I think I would go back to college if I if things worked out in a certain way where that could happen in a way that made sense. I think
0: I think that's a that's a that's another pitch for CNN. I think.
1: Yeah, like didn't Tommy Lee j- <laughs> do that? Uh, the Motley Crue drummer for NBC. Tommy Lee goes to college. I think we'd have different shows though.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, no, yours would also. You would be learning, but then you would be showing America about the state of education in America. That's true. Oh, look at you. All right, we can, now you got a producer credit. <laughs> 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 at this
1: point, it's an associate producer credit, but we can probably work. It I up believe.
0: I believe. On my way to Washington D.C., I heard there's an opening for education secretary. as yes, well. Yes,
1: there is. <laughs> yes, yes.
0: I it may or may not still be open by the time this this, yeah. <laughs> this yeah. uploads to the yeah, iTunes I was, I, it was funny atmosphere. When, I got, when I got in yesterday. Uh oh. Who's I, calling? I don't know who's calling. Hello? Is this is important? Yes?
1: Uh I think I'm alright. I check out tomorrow. I think I'm sort of keeping it clean myself. Thank you. Bye. We, we can keep that in. <laughs> 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 it's, it's, it's general housekeeping. It's housekeeping. I love when hotels, this is another thing. I mean, we're talking about this hotel. When hotels are like, y- you haven't let us in the room today. Um,
0: how's it going in there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, it's fine. I don't want people going through my stuff. <laughs> maybe they just want to make sure you were alive yeah
1: yeah you. yeah uh sir it's just this is a nice hotel and <laughs> we w- saw how you dressed <laughs> 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 so we're a little bit
0: worried about how things are going in there you know it's expensive
1: room uh, oh, we should have googled you before we let you check in
0: <laughs> uh it, <laughs> so what <laughs> as we transition back to your yeah. your past life Yes, or you the younger it's portrait of the artist as a young man. Yeah, yeah, it's all a stream. It's all a moving stream. How old were you when you first moved to the Bay Area? Twenty-four. And what attracted you? I had read a lot of books. I'm a, I'm a, like. It's funny how the
1: internet has sort of, uh, fanned the flame of this. I'm a deep diver in things I'm interested in. So, mm-hmm. uh, like, which is why Wikipedia is like my number one used website on my computer. I'm just like, what, and then what, and then what. And so, like, when I was in martial arts, I had a subscription to Black Belt Magazine and Inside Kung Fu Magazine. And I went to the bookstore and bought all the martial arts books about all the different martial arts. And, you know, so that was how I did. And then when I got into comedy, I read all the books I could find, which at that point was not... H- it was harder to find them because there wasn't Amazon. So, But a lot of the books I read talked about San Francisco and the scene in San Francisco and how right. it was a good scene. And, of course, I also talked about New York and L.A. I sort of knew la was about selling yourself and i knew that i wasn't i'd i been in chicago for a few years and i was like i knew i wasn't ready to sell myself as a product and then i went to new york because i knew new york was also a good scene where you get better and new york was just too big it was just too like intimidating at the time i visited uh uh rob parvonian who's still in new york yes great, great musical comedian uh great comedian who plays music how about that mm-hmm. and and I stayed at his place, and it was like the, he was subletting a place, and it was like a hallway. <laughs> like it was just like the it was the New York experience of like. And every day you walked outside, everybody was yelling, and there was honking their horn. And I'd been in Chicago, which is a big city, but it was just such a different level. I was like, I don't think they can handle this. And I moved, and I visited San Francisco, and just through weird luck and and providence, and I don't know what happened. And like I went to a showcase at Cobb's Comedy Club on a Monday, where they did that. This was when they did all their local the local showcase right gene pompa was hosting the show I know gene. uh gene yeah gene uh, i'd seen on the a-list huh. and i was like and i so after the show i walked in and was like gene pompa i saw like, so to me he was famous like i was just like <laughs> he's a famous he, comedian He on the early 90s comedy central yeah 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 so and, and, and the, one of the, the a-list they played all the time yeah. like so you so he was famous because i'd seen him 30 times on the a-list and so i was like how is this famous comedian uh, uh, hosting this thing, and so after I was like, uh, you're really funny, and I knew some of it. I think I quoted his act to him or something, you know, the thing, comics pretend to hate but love, <laughs> and, and I said, I'm a comedian, I'm from Chicago, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, just sort of talking, he's like, hey, call the punchline, talk to Jeff Wills, who was the booker of the punchline, and tell him I recommended you to do a set. Uh-oh. Which is not anything that makes any sense, <laughs> looking back. It just doesn't, <laughs> I don't think it would happen that way ever again. I don't, just that, I'm a comedian with no credits, none, right. nothing, not nothing. Gene Pompa said I should do a set, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and Gene is also, and I love Gene. Uh, oh God, it's a little crazy. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, I would feel like Jeff would be like, "That's yeah, <laughs> good and all," <laughs> but Gene is living out a little too far outside of the box. But
0: I mean, remember that comedy was in a different place.
1: Yeah, it was not a thing. Yeah, like, yeah it was it, not Googleable. It was not. Uh, yeah, it
0: was not an internet. It was place. not an
1: internet thing, and it just was also. Yeah, it was a little more of a, a smaller club, uh, literally. Like you know, it was just the thing where I, th- which I guess is what happened. So, Jeff said yes, told the manager. I got and this is the other part. I got a guest set on like the first show, either Friday or Saturday. I can't remember, which is not a guest set show. No, who's the head? Who's the headliner? It was Sue Murphy. Okay, who's uh? Who now? I think I is saw
0: her when I, I was living in Seattle. She would play the comedy underground. Yeah, yeah, and she now a is a
1: producer and like right, wrote for Wanda for a long time. And then she
0: worked and for Chelsea.
1: Chelsea, yeah, I think I'm yeah. sure she's. i afraid Maybe she's on Ellen. I don't know, but she's a Sue is great. Yeah, and I haven't seen her in I years. See. And so Sue Murphy was headlining. Uh, uh comedian Tony DiMarco, who's a Bay Area comic who lives in L.A., was opening. And Carlos, all Rocky was featuring, <laughs> which at that point, this is pre Taco Bell dog, pre nine, pre nine, pre nine eleven. Pre-9, yes, it was pre nine eleven and pre Reno nine one one. It was pre both those things. Good, good catch. And you know, it's like uh, the punchline's one hundred seventy five people. It's an intimate club. This, sh- it's packed. Sue's killing. Uh, Carlos is great. I got to do a guest set. I killed with the limited jokes I had. I mean they were all not worth repeating and but I had a good set and so it was just like, Oh, I should move here. <laughs> like it was just like, Oh, I should okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I the guess. god the comedy gods are speaking. Yeah, they said I should move here and so I moved. Now here. how many times did you perform stand up at that point? I had been in Chicago for three years so I'd been but t- at that point the scene in Chicago stand-up was, n- right. was really fallow yeah uh, like there was That's when the improv the improv st- when I started the Chicago. improv hit it was still open I did one sit there and then it closed the the funny firm was closed it reopened as the fallout but then that closed so there was really just Zanies as a club in town
0: and when you were in Chicago was it before the the young hot crop of yeah none of those people know i'm from chicago uh (laughs) which
1: is i feel a little bit i left no imprint in chicago i i talk about this a little bit i feel like the the generation of comics i started with is kind of a lost generation because it was post the boom but pre the internet yeah a lot of those people i think fell through the cracks and i knew a couple times i was in danger of falling through the cracks which is why i sort of like kept sort of like again the bruce lee thing okay well if it's not gonna work this way i gotta do something else um, but yeah, a lot of, but I'll tell you who was there, who's now Chicago, le- who is now uh, uniformly by Chicago, is Dwayne Kennedy. Okay. Oh, yeah. Who, I w- and I feel like I was, the, the a lot. The following generation will take credit for that, but we were the generation that pulled him into the scene. It's just there wasn't much of a scene then. Right. Like he was doing coffee shops and open mics, and first time I saw Dwayne Kennedy was at an open mic at the first place I ever did comedy, uh, and he is now like the godfather of Chicago comedy
0: scene. And that. That's probably why you had him to exactly. integral role of totally
1: biased. It's exact I've
0: I've spent I spent more of my young years,
1: the three years like a lot at one point I lived in an apartment and Dwayne was dating a woman in the same apartment. I was sleeping on the couch this was the early years of and and so I spent a ton of time with Dwayne Kennedy when I was a baby comedian. <laughs> like and just g- doing gigs and going with him to gigs and he would he would take me just in his car, eating burritos. Like we spent a ton of time. He was at my wedding too, like we're really good friends and and it's funny to me cuz i hear other comics i mean he's just that kind of guy everybody wants to claim him he's like a teddy bear and i just and there was years i was like so when i finally was able to hire him on Tully buys i just felt like damn straight <laughs> like <laughs> i have been down for this dude you know yeah
0: had you done stand up before you moved to chicago
1: uh no no i i was i was living in chicago at the time cuz i gone to high school there and dropped out of college in my okay. back so no chicago was where i started. so it was three but back then it was like if you did two sets a week in chicago like one at the Tuesday night. There was a Tuesday night room. There was a Wednesday night room. That was kind of it. All jokes aside, or no? It was before All Jokes Aside. This is although, but yeah, but there was no way into All Jokes Aside this, as far as my memory was. It was not like an open mic or a showcase.
0: There wasn't really a showcase culture in mm. the way there is in clubs now. Okay. Th- at that point. So how did way. you f- how did you figure out how to g- insert yourself into the into the scene? In Chicago yeah I mean it was open mics
1: (laughs) I signed up for the open mic and there was me and uh, a trying to think if if there's anybody from that scene who I could say I mean you know some of them are still working but uh, like Rob Parvonian was around but he was uh, he was older than us like he was like he had won ten thousand dollars on America's funniest home not home video but like they had a spin-off show America's funniest people and he had and that was the guy who won $10,000 and I'm trying to think of other people but there was very funny people uh, who are now some like this woman named Patty Vasquez, who's now like a local Chicago yeah. celebrity. Like she, I started. She was probably she started right before I did. Like I, you know, the, but there was just there's not. I don't know. There was just no way to get out of. Th- I'm trying to think if there's anybody who I could go and there's the one person who. Yeah, there's. I mean, they're all. Some of them are working.
0: Some of them are sort of hobbyists. And right. But yeah. No, th- I mean, th- I, you know, I got involved in comedy when I lived in Seattle in the mid '90s, and it's it feels the same way that. It's kind of a lost generation. There's there's some people who are who who've been working headliners this whole time. Yeah. Mostly in the northwest. Yeah, yeah. But then the people who I started out with, there's not a lot of them. I, there was I, no you. Stephen had, Brody Stevens yeah, was a fixture like, at the open mics you, with me.
1: There you go. There you go. Yeah. And like and he. Yeah. And, and so like I. But and <laughs> so there's not really a sense like I would go back to Chicago and play Zanies. When I finally he got in have, to Zanies in Chicago through. Uh, Dan St. Paul, who's a Bay Area comic, okay. who actually started with Sue Murphy, they had a comedy team together, and he got me into Zany's featuring for him, and they would. Everybody was like, "Where did you?" Uh did you, where, where are you from? I am like, here? <laughs> <laughs> but this was years later, and the scene had, like, moved on. And so I met Hannibal through uh, Dwayne Kennedy. Okay. Like, when Hannibal was in the back of the club, he was about to do, I think he was about to do Ferguson for the first time. Mm-hmm. But he was, you know, he did a set, and he was a, uh, and, you know, I, I, it's funny, not many times I look back and go, like, we, you know, he would, I, I'm not going to say he would come to watch me, but he would be in the club when I was there. Right. And, you know, I look back and go, man, I am happy that I didn't, you know, there's sometimes you go, I wasn't, I didn't have a good day that day, but <laughs> I'm happy that I had, a, that every dive animal was there, I was like, hey, man, you know? <laughs> thanks for, thanks for, thanks for watching, you know. Yeah. Is, is
0: that why you, is that why you told me earlier today, you're, you're still not sure if you're a stand-up comedian? What do you mean? As I, I was turning on the equipment, you, you're like. Oh, no, I remember saying that, I mean, yeah. why, uh. Like you need to be legitimized as a stand-up, or no, you or are you no. just not sure if you want to be known no, as a stand-up I just, comedian. It's,
1: no, no, no. I love stand-up comedy. I want to get this a hundred thousand percent sure. And I love being <laughs> a stand-up comedian. This is not a like, I don't, I don't think I want to be in this. No, I love it. I okay. love it. Uh, there's just, and I'm happy now that in the 21st century, that there are many different paths to the basket to, of of stand-up comedy. Like mm-hmm. there's, and the more we accept that, the better it is. Like okay. Th- that it doesn't all have to go through, like it. I think, at some level, you sort of have to reckon with the clubs because that's where a lot of the auditions come through, and a lot of the, And it's also you want to. There's something about building up that callus of doing a second show on a Friday night every now and again. they like sort of like, oh, this is this is a job. This is not a. Yeah. Uh, and also, I think that there. It's great that like you know, that there's uh, that there's there's sort of a, there's generations of comics who come up who sort of don't really necessarily reckon with the clubs all the, you know, sort of like, just do, the, I want to do my own thing, you know, and right. I think that that's the more we can def- treat stand-up comedy like music, that like, that, you know, you don't expect every, it's funny, I was going to say this and now that's changed, but you don't expect everybody to perform at the Apollo, although now Metallica's performed at the Apollo, but uh, that and there's... And Amy Schumer's Apollo. And Amy Schumer's at the Apollo, <laughs> so yeah, sorry, I guess everybody, I guess I gotta, and now I haven't performed at the Apollo, so now I'm the <laughs> asshole, but but there's just every, it's I think of it like music, like it's like, you know, CBGB's was a club where like punk bands went through, right. and that's the punk club, and then like there would be other clubs, then there'd be clubs in Harlem where it's like the R&B acts go through, and yeah. when stand-up comedy, there's sort of this sense that there was a clearinghouse called the Comedy Club that everybody had to go through, and I just think that that's not always helpful, you know, it's, I mean, it's fine, but it's not always helpful, and I think the more that that's not the, the case, the more it feels like, like sometimes you hear comedians sort of poo-poo the alt scene or poo or say that's not really stand-up comedy or they're not they're not basically they're not bombing they're not bombing enough in front of audiences in comedy clubs to be it's just sort of like uh, i mean does that mean i mean you know th- there's 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 lots of different ways to this thing you know there's there's lots of th- and you don't say that about music in the same way right you
0: know? because even the the last time we really sat down for an in-depth chat just one-on-one on one, was for the bell curve, mm-hmm. which, is which was which a completely I, different way of yeah, carving the, out And if it hadn't been for me doing niche.
1: that show, and I still do it at colleges, I wouldn't have, I don't think, I don't know that I'd still be sitting here right now talking about being a stand-up comic, because that was a point in which I was like, I can't figure out how to do what I do in the clubs, or do what I want to do. I kn- At that point, I was like, I know I need, I need slides, and I need audio. <laughs> like, I just felt like I needed, and then the bell curve actually helped me become a better stand-up comedian, because I had an hour and a half on stage, doing the bell curve to sort of explore thoughts that I wouldn't have been felt as comfortable exploring in a stand up comedy club. But then I could go back to the clubs with some of those
0: more attenuated thoughts and sell them to an audience. How did you get the 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 energy, the nerve to to build up the
1: bell curve? It was it was it was I think it was probably more desperation. <laughs> like it was really just like I can't I love if I I mean I've said this before too if I'd had if I had thought there was something I could do instead of stand-up comedy, I would have quit. Like mm-hmm. I, but I couldn't get it out of my system because I love it. and I want to be clear about that. And so uh, I, I was just like, I, I'm not, there's a voice. There's things in my head that I want to say on stage that I don't feel I have access to say in comedy clubs. Because sometimes you'd, you can say things in a comedy club and people just think you're making something up. That in a theater, people go, oh, they just assume it's the truth. Like in comedy clubs, there's sort of an assumption that it's all a lie, <laughs> right. and in theater, there's an assumption that it's all the truth, which can get people in trouble in both places. But uh, I just felt like I want to be some place where people assume that I'm being sincere, and then I can explore jokes based on those s- those ideas. Was
0: there was there much of a, a scene that supported one well, person shows like that? Yeah, the or? San
1: Francisco is is one of the hubs of one person shows. Like okay. there's a theater, they're called the Marsh, and there's just a seat like. You know, in, in New York, it's like you take a class at UCB. In San Francisco, you take a class at the Marsh. Like that's the in New York. You're like, I want to do some improv. And, but in San Francisco, everybody wants to write a one person.
0: So show. you saw there was a there was an avenue.
1: Yeah. And I, and I had been a, in, around that scene enough. Like I knew people in that scene and I had had a friends in that scene and had worked in that scene, I actually directed a couple directed a couple one person shows by that point. Because I just knew that I sort of that scene would sort of bump into the stand up comedy scene in San, in San Francisco. So I sort of got caught in that scene that I like already knew a theater. They liked me, uh, they let me, r- gave me a reasonable rent. Uh, you know, so there was like, I could, I, uh, the thing that about that is that you have to sort of invest in yourself in a financial way. The stand-up comics a lot of times, we're just used to the, not so much anymore, but at that point, we were used to like no, I just go to the club and they they rent the place <laughs> like I don't uh, then they pay me or they don't pay me but I don't have to actually spend money but this is that is now changed I think people are used to like making their own flyers and printing them up and renting a theater and UCB provides a night for you to do th- your own right. thing but back then it was like there was not there wasn't that that uh, matrix. Do Facebook invites you can do Facebook invites. Do <laughs> Facebook invi- yeah this was before <laughs> this was MySpace invites I think you know mm. uh, uh, or whatever MySpace I don't remember what it was but. Yeah, so there was the, like it, it really was like in it, it, you know I remember a lot of the comics on the scene in a very lovingly w- loving way, but maybe not all the time. Like and come out and I was doing the one person show thing because there's there was a stigma and maybe still right. around comedians doing one person shows because they just think you just do your act slower. Uh, and some people may have done that, but for me, it, when y- when people came and saw this the bell curve, they were like, oh, this is completely. There's not like a stitch of your act in this. For the most, part. it's it's you. It's you. Like people were like, this is like hanging out with you instead of like you on stage at a comedy club, which was like, I was like, that's
0: exactly what I wanted. And when and when you look at when you look at America in the fall of 2015, I thought you said in the fall of America. <laughs> when fall, you look at America <laughs> look at, the at the end of the uh, empire, well, history will judge. Yeah, 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 yeah. If this was the fall, yeah, of yeah, yeah, is this the fall? Uh, Is this the fall before the fall? And you and you look back to even five years ago or ten years ago, yeah. talking about ending racism in about an hour. <laughs> in about yeah. an hour. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Seems uh, like
1: I've done a pretty good job in the <laughs> last ten years.
0: Yeah, I mean,
1: I mean, the show was written. It's 2007 was when I first wrote the show. Barack Obama, when I started the show, Barack Obama was not even a national figure. He had spoken at the Democratic National Convention and everybody was like, who's this light-skinned black dude? But he wasn't still. He was a senator. First-term senator. First-term senator. senator. And he was, people knew him, but he wasn't a household name. Right. So when I started it, like it was like I remember the point when he d- he was like running for president the way that a lot of black people run for president like people were like oh you know kind of the way Al Sharpton occasionally runs right. for president and and uh, you know the way Ben Carson's running for president right now like in that like oh that's nice Herman Cain Herman Cain I think yeah. of Herman Cain yes and yeah.
0: It's, yeah. I still think his running nine nine plan nine 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 <laughs> plan
1: <laughs> if only he had, if only it hadn't been him proposing it <laughs> in that crazy way. Uh, and the rent is too damn high the rent is too damn high yeah the, but he was just sort of like it was sort of it looked like it different I, that's a different person yeah yeah that's, <laughs> the, that's the jimmy jimmy mcmillan i think yeah. uh but in the same sense that like he was running for president and the, and the thought was and this is even for me oh maybe if he's lucky he'll get to be hillary's vice president right. so that's where we were uh as a country so it was through doing the show my show actually sort of marched with him into the white house like the I did a show the, the Friday after he won, and it was just funny. It's just like, I mean, it was like we were celebrating. It was like, I mean, it was, you know. And the show had just evolved, and like you said, how has the the country changed? How's my life changed when I started doing the show? I was dating my wife. We were, d- and then now we have two kids and we're married. And you know, so it, the sh- the the show that I was doing in two thousand seven, there's not one thing that's the same since then because the right. show keeps evolving as the world keeps evolving. And when the show started, the racism I was talking about was really like weird pop culture racism that, it, that I kept seeing and that I was being frustrated by that nobody was connecting the dots and it was from like, you know, like Imus and Kramer and, uh, you know, uh, Rosie O'Donnell saying Ching Chong on The View. I just felt like there was yeah. all this like, I felt like I, like that scene in A Beautiful Mind where you're like, look at all the
0: <laughs> the connections.
1: <laughs> uh, and it was just making those connections to say that we're still, that racism still a thing because people weren't talking about it. Now after we got a black president, we talk about it all the time. Right. And so now, I have to be smarter than the conversation. I have to be faster than the conversation, which is the challenge every comedian has, being faster than the conversation.
0: I feel like I feel like pre- President Obama also brought out the racist, the silent racist. He's a lightning rod for
1: racism. Like, if you were sort of like, I think I don't like black people. Now there's a president. I, mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. I know. I d- and, that's, and, they're recru- le- and they're
0: letting us all know that they yeah. don't
1: like. I mean, what's a better recruitment tool for the Klan than a black president? Yeah. I mean, and it's it's exactly what happened. And, and also, the thing is now is that it's not the Klan. It's the Koch brothers. Like, you know, like, yeah. no way, I mean, you know, the Klan is this sort of like the, when the Klan comes to town, they announce themselves, you know, we can all show up and be more of them. But it's actually the stuff that's really insidious that is that we're talking that I talk about. I mean, talk about now as far as like where racism is. The insidious yeah. stuff is more interesting and more fun to make fun of than the obvious stuff. Sometimes The power and the money. The power and the money. Donald Trump. Uh. <laughs> like, you know, that's it right there. It's all perfectly aligned. The power and the money. S- so and from the racism.
0: So from your perspective, as a and the misogyny. <laughs> From your perspective as a comedian, though, how has your how has your perspective on using comedy to talk about our social conditions changed? Um, has it?
1: I, I feel better able to talk about it. I feel like I'm a better comedian than I was when I started doing The Bell Curve. Because and, and I also feel like I have a deeper investment in it because I have two kids, so it has changed significantly. And I feel like I'm more aware of the things that are coming in my mouth than I was 10 years ago. in that, like, is this really what I mean? Is this, you know, like, it's, uh, you know, it's funny, I saw Bill Burr on stage last night and his the through line of his set was really his frustration with the current state of stand-up comedy. And it was hilarious, but it was also, like, commenting on the audience. He was purposely pushing, he was sort of trolling them but then also, I think sometimes, like, I think Bill does think some of these things, and he wants, to, you know, it's like, you, where's the line of trolling? Where's the line of, where's trolling become honesty? And you know, and Bill's one of the greatest of our current, you know, I think he's going go to go he's in the, com- he will be in the Comedy Hall of Fame when it's all said and done. Uh, and, but it was, and, and so he's doing it from the standpoint of, like, there used to be an acceptance that a comedian could be a dude who just exposed their fucked up thoughts. And you could just sit back and enjoy it, like, you know, because you were like sort of enjoying it vicariously right. through this person exposing their fucked up thoughts. Those comedians still exist, but there's also, because we're all in the same pool because of the Internet, like, we're not all segmented anymore. Some people are going to hear those fucked up thoughts who don't want to hear them. And then it becomes, well, what does the comedian do with that? Right. And I'm saying that as somebody who's like, I'm in a different place where I have, like, activists and progressives and academics sometimes who sort of like i like this guy because he blah 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 and then i will say something where they're like i loved everything but that one thing (laughs) right you have to really and you know and it's like and then it goes well do i do i mean there's a kind you go oh maybe i'm not saying that correctly but something like but can i have fucked up thoughts too right (laughs) can i I sometimes can i just be a comedian making and looking for the funny or can i just be a person who's who's imperfect like instead of a politician who's trying to look perfect, like right. as a comedian, you don't want your comedian. You don't want to agree with everything a comedian says. You think you might, but you really don't, because then there's no surprise. And I mean, from things as little as like I have a joke where I uh, drop the gay f bomb in it, which I'm only saying now because I don't want to say it unnecessarily. Uh, but in the joke, I say it, mm-hmm. and after a show one time, like somebody's like, "I really liked your thing," but then I think, it w- and I'm assuming, and I think it was a gay man, just based on what we talked about. Uh, he said, "I really don't think you have access to that word." And da da da. But in the joke, I'm actually—the joke is about making fun of people who use that word who think they're being politically correct. You know, I'm like, "But that's the right. the jokes about what you're saying." <laughs> <laughs> that's why I said that. No, yeah, I get it. I I'm, like saying, <laughs> I'm not saying—I'm not saying—and my viewpoint generally is, I'm not saying you can't be offended. I support your right to be offended. I'm just always—I'm just sometimes saying I don't necessarily have to take on your offense. Right. Which for me it's hard to say because I'm a person who takes on people's offense, but I also feel like there's got to be there's you can be. I mean, I, I'll say this: my parents. I used to watch my parents watch like like my dad and his my stepmom watch Chris Rock specials, and there'd be jokes that'd be like ah ha ha, and jokes they'd be like oh no no yeah, but they would at the end they would be like he's crazy, and that was just the you know like they were just sort of they accepted the whole package so. You don't necessarily have to agree with every moment of, of, of everything an artist says or, or their art does. But you can choose to throw away an artist for one thing if you want to. It just, and you can try to recruit other people to throw that artist away too. It just doesn't mean that the art is wrong all the time. So, and that this is all subjective. and right. you know, I well struggle with this. There's jokes I've done where I'm like, that guy was wrong. That, that guy who did that joke, me, was wrong.
0: To me, even from someone who hasn't been on stage in, in a long time trying to tell jokes, seems like th- there's a fundamental difference between telling a joke to get a laugh mm-hmm. and telling a joke where you're trying to get applause. Mm-hmm. Or yes. Or telling a joke where you're trying not to set off a trigger. Or alert. telling a joke
1: where you're tr- where the, the punchline is just to be shocking. Yeah. I would add that in there, too. Because there are times when you go, come on, man. Like, you know, that you're you're purposely dropping this thing in the middle of this, but you haven't actually built a joke that supports it. And so I think, yeah, there's absolutely, like, I- I- if it's too careful, it's not funny. But if it's not careful at all, it's not funny. You know? And, I mean, I, you know, I saw comics on stage last night. Like, uh, uh, Brett Gilman did a whole thing about uh, where it was a joke. He was doing a whole thing about people sharing, sh- basically encouraging them to share something on, on YouTube that he was going to do that looked offensive. And it's just w- as comics, we're all on stage, aware that we're not just performing, or we should be. We're not just performing for people in the room. We're performing, potentially performing for the world, right. which is just a weird thing. Because as Chris Rock says, the comedy club is supposed to be the workout room where you can try stuff out and figure things out. And, and uh, you know, it's a uh, uh, the next generation of standup comedy. I think is going to look different in some way. You know, or it's going to, uh, you know, or or we're going to at some point we're all going to realize think we're spending too much time on the internet <laughs> that could also be a Could a it could too. it be
0: like skynet where stand-up comedy becomes self-aware yes yes yes
1: it's it's it's, it's developed its own intelligence <laughs> i and i just and I, but i think the thing i want to support is just everybody having the right to their own voice i don't want to i don't you know sometimes i feel like people you know i'll get people on the twitter like i don't you're not funny at all yeah to you i'm not go find somebody who is <laughs> there's so there's I don't want to stop uh, the people who, I, you know, just because a comic is offensive to me doesn't mean I want to stop them. You know, I right. think I laugh at this laugh at that stuff all the time. Uh, you know, and me and my wife, some my wife got mad at me for laughing at the joke a comic. That I was like, it was so perfect. Uh, uh, but it was also Valentine's Day. It's a whole story. But
0: mm. uh, it
1: was it was a bad. We shouldn't have been in a
0: comedy club. But <laughs> <laughs> i not perfect. I'm note not perfect. T- note to uh, audience selves. Yeah. Don't. Take your date to a comedy club. Don't take your date valentine. to your workplace on Valentine's Day. <laughs> it doesn't even
1: matter that it, a comedy club may be your perfect client face for a date on Valentine's Day but unless you're a <coughs> comedian. Then it's sort of like you brought me to work. <laughs> 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 I wasn't even performing. It was like it was my off
0: day and I took her to work. <laughs> so if that's horrible advice, what's what's some uh, recent great advice you received? Uh I received. Yeah. Uh I mean like, oh yeah, I'm gonna p- I'm gonna put that in my
1: Head journal and in my head journal. It's it's. I mean, I'm always sort of scanning for. Uh, it's funny. I w- I mean, maybe this is it because I keep thinking because I was so happy when I heard it. I said it earlier. Yeah. Hearing Denzel Washington quote Bruce Lee to yeah. me about a Bruce Lee quote that I know reminded me of like, ye- and especially somebody I respect like Denzel Washington was like a reminder of like yeah, just do that, like keep. Absorbing absorbing what is useful, reject what is useless, and add what is your own. And it sort of reminds me, because sometimes I get caught up in, like, what the... Like, there's a lot of times when I'm like, what the hell is this life? What is this... G- I like, you know, I've been gone from home since Wednesday. I'm sort of missing my family. And I'm like, is this really the thing? Is this... Am I doing this? <laughs> does this make sense?
0: And, and sort of reminding myself that, like, you're just doing it your own way. And uh, what would you tell a young comedian looking for advice uh
1: when i get asked that question yeah uh, what do, what do you
0: what's I the first thing you usually get up about? on stage as often as possible because okay. you
1: can't figure it out if you're if you want to do it or if you're any good at it unless you're on stage a lot especially in the first several years um get on stage as much as often as possible uh then uh don't think that you're going to that it's you're going to make it through being a stand up as earliest especially I mean I Kevin Kataoka, who wrote for Tolly Bias, gave me that advice way before Tolly Bias, when I first met him in the 90s um and it's even more true now that was before YouTube before you right. were but it's even more true now that like once you figure out that you're doing it and you're getting laughs and you're building an act figure out other projects that build off of that so you're not just going i so that you know so you're not relying on stand up comedy to get you to the glory cuz i don't know how many people that's going to work for anymore. You know, I just watched Brian Regan special last night and it's like, that may be the end of an era. <laughs> like, you know, like to <laughs> just be a straight, to pure To just be a stand straight up. standup who's not blogging and vlogging and putting up tumblers and, you know, tha- yeah. and tha- and you don't have to do all of it, but you got to pick a thing that like, is like, I mean, even right now I'm doing this, the Denzel Washington podcast is like, there's no reason to do that. It's just a thing that I like doing that is now actually bringing in people who, I w- who wouldn't have come across my desk otherwise, you know? Well, it's following your passion. Yes. And that's, it's got, it's about following my nose That's the thing that this is about while also being respectful to the fact that I have two children and they don't feed themselves. So <laughs> you know, so you ha- so you have to make decisions based on uh wanting
0: your kids to eat too. Well I'm I'm glad that you're you're continuing to find work to put food <laughs> on your you. children's plates. <laughs> Thank you. That's And uh, and I'm also grateful that your nose told you to say yes when I asked you to do the show. That's exactly what this is. I was like, "Oh, Sean, of course. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. No, I
1: was like, yeah, and I'm happy you reached out, but no, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, come over to come over to my hotel room and uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll talk we'll talk, we'll sit on the bed and talk until housekeeping arrives. Until <laughs> housekeeping forces <laughs> their way in so they can clean the room. What is going on in there? We hear people talking we're podcasting yeah
0: we're podcasting thanks Kamal thank you last
1: things first
0: this episode of the comics comic presents last things first was produced by Alex Brezel at Showbiz Studios theme music by Camille Harris and Shockwave logo by Gicklechick. please check out my website thecomicscomic.com for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news Become a paid subscriber at Patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.